1: KQED in San Francisco. I'm Marisa Lagos and for Alexis Madrigal. Former U.S. Housing Secretary and presidential candidate Julian Castro joins us to talk about his new role as CEO of the San Francisco-based Latino Community Foundation. The foundation, which has raised more than $100 million in the last decade, is the largest organization in California supporting Latino centered programs. Castro spent most of his career in Texas, including his tenure as mayor of San Antonio. But he and his twin brother, Joaquin, earned their undergraduate degree right here in the Bay Area at Stanford University. We'll talk with Castro about what he'll bring to his new job and his vision to expand the foundation outside of California. That's next, after the news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos in for Alexis Madrigal. Since 1989, the Latino Community Foundation has been one of the few foundations in the country that specifically supports Latino nonprofits and Latino community. And it's the largest statewide organization to do so here in California. During the past decade, under the leadership of outgoing CEO Jacqueline Martinez Garcel, the foundation raised more than 100 million dollars. And in recent years, the foundation has focused its grant making on programs that boosted the political participation among Latinos, helped Latinos weather the pandemic, and helped grow small businesses, among other initiatives. Last week, the foundation announced the start of a new chapter with Julian Castro stepping in as CEO starting in January. His pivot to philanthropy may come as a a surprise given Castro's heavyweight political background, former mayor of San Antonio, former secretary of housing and urban development in the Obama administration and former presidential candidate. Castro says it's time for the foundation to broaden its reach beyond California's borders and serve more Latino communities across the country. And he joins us to talk more about his new role in the future of Latinos and philanthropy. Welcome, Julian Castro. Thanks for being here.
2: Thanks for having me, Marissa. Well,
1: I gotta say, this is a big pivot uh, from all of your other uh, roles and experience. Talk about how this came about. What made you interested? Did they approach you? How how this how did this go down?
2: Yeah, I got approached uh, a few months ago by the firm that was doing the CEO search uh, for the Latino Community Foundation, and you know when this came across my desk, maybe in some small way, I had the same reaction that you did. Of, well, um, you know, is this, is this the right thing? But, uh, there were a couple of things that, um, made me interested and really drive my passion uh, and excitement about taking this on starting in January. Um, first that, uh, I love the mission of the organization. And, you know, the mission is it's committed to unlocking the power of the Latino community in California uh, to build power economically and civically with Latinos, uh, to invest in a community that represents about 40% of California uh, and nationally now is 60 million Latinos. The way that I see it, uh, the destiny of our country certainly of California, is intertwined with the destiny of the Latino community like never before. Uh, already one in four children in this country are Latino or Latina, uh, one in five of people overall in the population. Uh, so the only way that our country and the only way that California can do well is if uh, Latinos and Latinas do well. Uh, that, that excites me. And I grew up with a mom who was a Chicana activist in the 1970s, um, who instilled in me this sense that uh, you should use your ability and your talent to give back to other people. Uh, Up to now, that's been through public service, Mm -hmm. Um, but I see this as another way of doing that. And then the second reason is that um, I think there's there's a very strong role for philanthropic Nonprofits to play in building up power within the Latino community. Um, I think public policy has a, a very, very powerful role, and ultimately, I think the most powerful role. But I could tell from my own career in public service that nonprofits can make a tremendous difference uh, in mobilizing a community, in funding efforts that uh, fill the gaps oftentimes. Um, in green lighting investments that otherwise wouldn't happen or sometimes the public sector or the private sector move too slowly. So there's a real role to play here in doing good as well.
1: Yeah. I'm curious, like what your previous experience connection with philanthropy has been? Um, What I mean, both in terms of personal, but just like what you've seen and and what you might want to model here, um, change, keep the same.
2: Yeah. um, You know, it's interesting. I uh, serve on the board of the Marguerite Casey Foundation uh, and have for the last couple of years. uh, Marguerite Casey Foundation is based in Seattle, is a foundation that uh, is committed to shifting power uh, and investing in uh, progressive movements. Uh, I sit on the board of the LBJ Foundation here in Texas, which is uh, dedicated to uh, investing in the LBJ library and school at the University Mm. of Texas. And uh, So I've seen it from that perspective as a board member. I've also seen it as someone who worked with philanthropic organizations when I was in office uh, as mayor of San Antonio and then HUD secretary. Uh, And so, you know, I have this, these, kind of panoramic view of it, but have never been directly in it. Uh, I'm excited to take on this role. I know that it's going to be different and that there's going to be a a huge learning curve, Um, but I'm absolutely confident in uh, the ability of organizations like Latino Community Foundation to make a big difference in people's lives Uh, in terms of what might be different um, or, uh, you know, a new vision, I think, first of all, this is an organization that has tremendous momentum. As you said, it's raised a uh, hundred million dollars over the last several years under the leadership of Jacqueline Martinez Garcel. She has done a phenomenal job. Uh, it has great partnerships with organizations from the San Francisco foundation, the Irvin foundation, um, nonprofits that it works with. So it, it's an organization that doesn't require radical change. Mm. um, I think what we can do is to deepen its work in California, not only in the Bay Area and in Los Angeles, but also the Central Valley, the Coachella Valley, other smaller communities out there where it's already doing important work, deepen that impact and then expand that impact beyond California because there are many places, I think, that could benefit from the excellent work that the foundation is doing.
1: All right. Well, then I got to ask you about the elephant in the room, which is you're not moving here. It is based in San Francisco. Uh, Why stay in Texas? And I mean, is that something those of us here in the Bay Area and California should be concerned about?
2: I think that's a fair question. Uh, I'm going to be spending a lot of time uh, each month and week to week in California. I'll, I'll remain based in san antonio but be spending a lot of time uh in the bay area and then also getting down to L- los angeles where uh, lcf has a smaller office and then in between in the central valley and everywhere else they're doing work uh, so you're going to see a lot of me yeah i i uh, am absolutely determined to be present uh and uh, to make sure that we don't miss a beat at the foundation in the work that we're doing in California. I mean, that is, that defines the work of the organization and that comes first. Uh, and, you know, the good news is that we also have a fantastic team at LCF that has been doing just spectacular work. Um, they share the same passion, the same commitment, uh, whether they're there in the Bay Area or uh, in Los Angeles or anywhere in between.
1: Why not move here? Is it? I know. You, I think you still have pretty young kids. Is that part of it? Yeah. You know, I
2: um, I went through a divorce last year in 2022, and uh, it was amicable. Uh, things worked out in that sense. But uh, I share custody of mm. of uh, my daughter who is 14 and my son who is about to turn nine on December 27th, and. You know, so I'm going to be anchored here in Texas. I also think the good news in a lot of I I don't think there's an area that knows this better than the Bay Area. Uh, So much of what we do now uh, is done remotely. Mm -hmm. And so I have sort of a hybrid situation here where I'm going to be spending a lot of time there on the ground and in the office. But some of it I'm also going to be doing remotely.
1: Yeah, well, we have a couple minutes before our first break. And after that, I do want to talk more deeply about sort of the programmatic goals. But I'm curious, like a lot of your role as CEO is going to be raising money. Obviously, that's not a new thing for you as a politician who's had, had to dial for dollars. Um, what part of that are you looking forward to, not looking forward to? Do you think it might be easier asking for money for this purpose than, you know, say for a presidential campaign?
2: <laughs> I think it's different. Uh, yeah, I think what what makes this different and and um, very meaningful, uh, asking for uh, funding for the work of the Latino Community Foundation is that uh, people can see the results out there on the ground through the work that it does, whether it's through its Latino Nonprofit Accelerator or the grants that it makes to to great Latino serving. Organizations throughout California. Um, People believe in the mission and they get to see the impact of the work daily. That's a great motivator and it's a great selling point, frankly. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. It is different from uh, the kind of fundraising that I've done, but I think with fundraising, some of it, there's a commonality to a lot of it, right? I mean, you have to. You have to you be
1: willing to ask.
2: <laughs> that's right. You can't be afraid to pick up the phone or send the email or, you know, text message or go sit down in somebody's office and ask. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, after that is that you have to know why and you have to have a passion for it. And I have a, a tremendous passion and a great respect for the excellent work that uh, the Latino Community Foundation does and hopefully like with Jacqueline now hopefully that'll be infectious and and people will uh support yeah
1: Hopefully she'll leave her Rolodex too behind. Uh, we are talking with Julian Castro about his new role as CEO of the Latino Community Foundation. He's a former U.S. Housing and Urban Development Secretary and former Democratic presidential candidate. And we want to hear from you. What questions do you have for Julian Castro? Are you Latino or Latina? How can philanthropy better serve you and your community? What should the Latino Community Foundation priorities be? What should there, What should it be for? Give us a call now. We're at 8 six six seven three three six seven eight six. that's 866 you can also email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org or find us on our digital community on discord that's at kqed.org forum where you can sign up uh, again here with Julian Castro he is the new CEO of the Latino Community Foundation and we definitely want to hear from our listeners about what their priorities are I'm Marisa Lagos in today for Alexis Madrigal stay tuned for more forum right after this break
3: And welcome back to Forum. Marisa Lagos here in for Alexis
1: Madrigal. And today I am talking with Julian Castro. He is the new CEO of the Latino Community Foundation. You might recall he ran for president in 2020. Or yes, right? 2020. Gosh, it all it all it all blurs together. <laughs> um, and you were also head secretary. So I want to talk a little bit about sort of what you can bring to this role based on your past experience you've talked a lot about growing lcf into a national organization um clearly the work is not done here in california for latinos but i'm curious like how you see that growth um you know kind of when we talk about what is also happening here in california
2: i think it's true what people say that that California is this kind of microcosm of the opportunities and the deep challenges that the nation faces. And one of the great things about LCS is that over the last several years, uh, it really has become a statewide organization uh, that is not only in the Bay Area, but also in Los Angeles, as I mentioned, uh, everywhere in between and other parts of the state. I think one of part of what we need to continue to do uh very well there is um to expand into smaller communities in california that too oftentimes get overlooked um, by philanthropy and that's something that i am excited about Uh, i think it's something that um, is very much within reach of the organization and then be thoughtful about uh, how can we take some of what lcf does and um in an intentional way, go to other communities that have uh, big Latino communities Hmm. Uh, of, you know, whether it's uh, Arizona or Nevada or uh, Illinois here in Texas, Florida, that's going to be a process. But I'll give you a couple of examples of things I'm excited about, programs that I'm excited about. Um, The LCF has, for instance, uh, something called the Latino Nonprofit Accelerator that is sort of a boot camp uh, to enhance the excellence of Latino-led and Latino-serving nonprofits in terms of their ability to fundraise, the way that they're managed, mm. their their communications ability, so that they become more viable, more impactful organizations. Well, you can do that. Um, I, you could do that in the Phoenix area. You could do that in the Las Vegas area. You could do it in any number of communities, big and small. Uh, another example that I'm really excited about are Latino giving circles. This organization has created the largest network of Latino and Latina philanthropists in the country through these giving circles that and there are uh, several of them there in Northern California, um, where Members of the community who were able to give, pledged to give a certain amount. You know, this is not a million dollars, not even a hundred thousand dollars. People give by their ability, but they help make choices about nonprofits to invest in. You can do that and expand it throughout California. And then again, any number of communities in the United States. And the great thing is that these are initiatives that have already proven phenomenal and successful. Uh, and some we're starting from a great point and able to deepen that in the state and then take it outside of the state in the years to come.
0: Great.
1: We're talking with Julian Castro about his new role of CEO of the Latino Community Foundation. We were having some trouble with our phones there for a minute, but we do have them fixed and we want to hear from you. So if you want to ask him a question or have some thoughts about what the foundation should be doing, you can give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That is 866-733-6786. We're also on email, forum at kqed.org, or on Discord. You can go to KQED.org forum to sign up. I'm curious. I mean, obviously, as I said, a lot of people recognize um, your name from politics, and a you know, foundation is a nonpartisan group. But I know you've also talked a lot about you know the importance of Latino engagement, um, voter, you know, uh, signing folks up to vote. How do you see the role of the foundation when it comes to this next election cycle and beyond?
2: For the last uh, several cycles, it's been playing an important role in Latino uh, and Latina voter uh, education and mobilization uh, through some direct work and then through grant making uh, to organizations throughout the state that are involved in that. Uh, It is part of a, has a goal to help uh, significantly increase turnout in the state. Uh, I believe to 80% of Latino voters by 2028, 20, uh, that's a big goal. But yeah. it, uh, that's to give you a sense of the boldness and the intentionality that uh, Latino Community Foundation has. I'm excited about that because ultimately, um, the philanthropic sector, the nonprofit sector is tremendously impactful. No doubt, it makes a big difference. But I think that even uh, many other uh, CEOs of Uh, philanthropies would agree, ultimately, to make the biggest difference, you have to change public policy. And so we want to build up uh, Latino and Latina uh, civic engagement and political power in the state of California, and ultimately in other places too, so that they can elect their uh, first choice candidates to school boards, to city councils, to state legislative seats, uh, to Congress, uh, to governor and every constitutional office uh, on the ballot, and make sure that those policies coming out of city hall or the school district office or uh, Sacramento reflect the best interests of the community.
1: Yeah, I'm curious. Like I've been covering politics here in California basically my whole adult life, and we're always talking about you know the potential power in the next election of the Latino electorate and. It's not as if we don't have a lot of high-profile Latinos and Latinas, you know, in politics here in California. Um, But I think particularly engaging younger people has been challenging historically historically. and, you know, we've also seen a real drift towards the Republican Party and in many communities, especially along, among young Latino men. Like, what do you think the secret sauce is here? Why do you think it's been so hard to get folks engaged? And how can you guys, yeah, help help with that? What, what do you hear when you're on the ground? Because I know you've done, you know, so much sort of grassroots work.
2: Well, I think that you often hear from people um, Like my vote doesn't matter. Um, How is it going to make a difference? Some people uh, throw their hands up and say, oh, they're all the same, you know, now talking about politicians. Mm -hmm. But there is, you know, a good amount of skepticism, cynicism, whatever word we want to use. Uh, But that manifests itself in lower uh, registration, and then ultimately lower turnout at the ballot box. And I'm a big believer that you have to start early and you have to start with good uh, civic education um, to get folks to understand the stakes and understand their role in our democracy and uh, have an understanding of the issues as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And you also have to, when it comes to young people, you have to reach out to them on those things that they really care about whether it's on climate on student loan issues on housing affordability any number of things uh, you need to be um, responsive uh, sensitive to their concerns um and and really also persistent because uh, I found this out you know, when I was running for office um, talking to somebody one time often is not enough you know you need to mm doing it multiple times and in different ways. And the Latino Community Foundation is engaged in that kind of work. And also it's making grants to support great organizations that are grassroots organizations uh, on the ground that that are trying to do that education and to ultimately mobilize more uh, young people.
1: Yeah. I wonder, like, I mean, we hear so much about, um, dysfunction in D.C. Or around things like immigration. But, you know, on the other hand, if you look at polling, like most groups, Latinos are, you know, going to say that they're often most concerned about the economy. I don't know. Do you think that sometimes like we get too focused on sort of uh, issues? I mean, obviously, immigration is a huge important issue. And I do want to talk to you about that a little bit. But I mean, h- how do you think about the sort of Connection between something like the economy, which is an issue that touches everybody, um, and this issue of engagement.
2: Uh, you know, I've, I at least the yeah, you know, I grew up in, here in San Antonio, Texas, in a community that is over sixty percent uh, Latino and Latina, and but I think in many ways, of course, is like the communities there in California. I always think of uh, our community as uh aspirational
4: mm.
2: as hardworking as um uh, very family oriented uh and also justice oriented um you know focused on fairness for themselves and for others and so um I think that That's what we need to be mindful of in terms of appealing to the community um, and understanding the needs of it, the investments that we should be making in it, uh, and when it comes to issues, how to talk about those issues and make them relate to one another. Uh, I agree that if you do a poll, for instance, um, and I've seen these lately, the issue strictly of immigration does not come up as number one. But immigration for a lot of families in the community is often tied to uh their comfort and their ability to go work.
1: Absolutely.
2: Their quality of life in the community they live in, because places like my home state of Texas have have um made it uncomfortable and burdensome. Uh, Obviously, California went through this in the 1990s and then uh, took a better direction after that. But all of these issues are tied together. And I think that um, as organizations and certainly people running for office and policymakers ought to be able to both talk about them and govern around them in ways that see how connected they are.
1: Mm, Absolutely.
2: That's my hope. Uh, I know that doesn't happen nearly as often as, uh, you know, as many of us would like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, I want to bring in some of our callers. We are talking to Julian Castro. He was just named CEO of the Latino Community Foundation. He'll be taking over in January. Uh, first up, I want to go to Farah in Novato. Farah, go ahead. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah.
5: Hi. Um, so I am a court interpreter, a court-certified interpreter for... Uh, I work as an employee at Marin County Superior Court. And I've been interpreting for a long time, over 20 years. And when I started out, I would do a lot of um, immigration interviews and hearings. And you, just for the general public, when you are in court, you're provided with a court interpretation and the, the proceedings in English. However, for anything else outside of immigration that isn't a court appearance, the applicants are required to pay for their own interpreter. So, for example, when I would do asylum hearings or interviews, um, I actually had to stop doing them because it was it was difficult to accept payment from mm-hmm. you know this. You could see like a very hardworking immigrant would pull these like twenties out of their purse and. And pay you, and a lot of times I would just have to, you know, kind of walk away because their stories were just, you know, really sad or really moving or whatever it was, you know. Um, So my question is, what would your foundation do to expand the availability or access to pay for interpreters um, when they're not paid for automatically by the state or? for example, with civil cases by an insurance yeah. company. Great question. And also within the community, at, at community meetings or at schools. Um, in general, I feel like there's a huge gap, and um, outside of court, where interpreters are, you know, appointed.
2: Yeah.
1: Thanks, Farah. Um, what do you think, Julian?
2: Yeah, I think Farah brings up uh, a like a crucial point for so many people going through uh the a, a court process it could be immigration it could be uh, part of the criminal justice system um and in addition to that other interactions with government and and other settings she mentioned i think maybe board meetings or similar meetings um so that you bridge that gap that too often exists and bring others into the fold that where english may not be their first language right now sometimes government does fund this but there is a gap there and i do think that uh, there are philanthropies that are playing a role in doing that i think it's important to do that Uh, the effect of that is that you have a better informed um, uh, in this case uh, asylum seeker or uh, uh, immigrant to the united states or a parent at a school board meeting. So it's a great point. And um, I do think that that's, that is a role that uh, that foundations can play or philanthropic groups can play to try and close that gap.
1: Thank you. All right, we have another caller, Leslie in Sacramento. Go ahead.
4: Hi, yeah, Julian. so nice to be able to speak with you. My name is Leslie Balzandisola. I am the co-chair of the California Latino Capital Association Foundation, it's a mouthful otherwise known as clcaf here at the state legislature in california uh, we represent a variety of individuals ranging from interns to latino students um, to latino uh, staffers in the Capitol, as well as lobbyists and i think earlier in the call um, it was mentioned you know possibilities or suggestions that we have for ways in which the foundation can help support organizations like mine Um, So since we're a 501c3, we focus a lot on um, work to better the community. Mm. And one of the ways that we do that is by going to high schools for underprivileged students and getting them involved in politics and showing them that they can run for office, that they can be in this space and that they can pass laws. Um, And so I wanted to just say that maybe a a good suggestion would be to fund organizations that focus on professional development like the ones that we do and also um, help nurture the next generation of Latinos in the capital space. Um just a little bit of history, Latinos were uh, the lowest number of individuals in the, in the state legislature in terms of staffers. And we're now the largest um, staff organization out of all of the ethnic organizations in the capital. So wow. I think um, funding really helps us. Uh, we do a lot of work. I'd really suggest that you look into some of our work. And um, we're very committed to ensuring that we can help elections as well, that we uh, fairly represent the Latinos and bring the next generation of kids to the capital and show them that they belong here. Yeah. Thank
1: you. I appreciate the call, Leslie. I I just wonder, yeah, in general, is professional development, is that uh, both in our capital and across the nation, is that something that the foundation's playing in right now or that you'd like to bring it into?
2: Yeah, the foundation does support uh, through its grant making uh, some organizations that are involved in professional development, also in the direct service uh, work that uh, LCF does the Latino nonprofit accelerator to some extent involves professional development uh let me say also kudos to the caller in terms of helping to build up the organization as successfully as uh, as she has and others have um that's what we'd like to see and so it's it's a note taken about the importance of that kind of investment in professional development
1: yeah. Um, We are talking to Julian Castro. He is CEO of the Latino Community Foundation, coming off of uh, many years as a politician and a big voice in the Democratic Party. Um, We want to hear from you. What questions do you have for Mr. Castro about this new role? What would you like to see the Latino Community Foundation investing in, working on? give us a call. 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can email us at forum at kqed.org. I'm Marisa Lagos in today for Alexis Madrigal. We'll be back with more uh, interview with Julian Castro after the break.
3: And welcome back to Forum. I'm Marisa Lagos and today for
1: Alexis Madrigal. We are talking with Julian Castro. He was just named the new CEO of the Latino Community Foundation that's based here in the Bay Area. And he plans to take it national. Um, I want to transition to talking about something you know a lot about. And I want to bring in a caller for this uh, Lupe in Oakland. Go ahead.
6: Hi, good morning, Marisa, and hello, um, Julian. Congratulations on your new role with the Community Foundation. That's huge. Um, So, my name is Lupe again, and I'm the Executive Director for Tenants Together. Um, We're a statewide tenant rights organization here in California. Um, I'm the first Latinx, um, director, executive director for our organization. Um, so it's really exciting that, uh, we have also more leadership, um, in philanthropy as well now with Julian. So my question specifically about, um, how does, how do Latinx facing philanthropy organizations like LCS plan on engaging, um, around issues of housing justice and economic justice, especially since, you know, Latinx uh, tenants are, you know, te- Latinx folks are disproportionately tenants in California. Are also disproportionately disproportionately faced retaliation, faced evictions. Um, you know, right now we're seeing the biggest rise in um, eviction cases since pre-COVID. And um, you know, just for me, it's uh, for me and the organization that I work with, and the Latinx folks that in our community. Um, you know, definitely it's, it's an issue that is really weighing on folks as um, housing insecurity. And so definitely would love to hear your thoughts, as, especially as a as a former um, Secretary of Housing in the U.S.
1: Thanks, Lupe. Julian, uh, go ahead.
2: Yeah, thank you, Lupe, for the question. And um, you're right. We we have had a uh, housing affordability crisis in this country for quite a while and in California for a long time. I, I don't think I need to tell anybody. um that's listening that that's not news by any means. Um, The good news is that the LCF does partner with organizations in uh, on the issue of housing uh, and creating more opportunity, uh, affordable housing opportunity Uh, as as an issue that's near and dear to my heart. I look forward to seeing uh, how we can expand that work and those partnerships. Uh, I think that post I say post-COVID. I know folks are still mm-hmm. dealing with it a lot of the time, but uh, you know, in this in this um, era that we're dealing with, uh, it's just gotten tougher for people out there. The rents have spiked again. Uh, people are doubling up. You see more people that are living on the streets. Like the depth, the scale of the crisis is only getting uh worse and that means that i think all of us have a role to play and the latino community foundation of course has a role to play in how we can ensure that there is more affordable housing opportunity and that policies reflect uh fairness and justice and uh, a humane treatment compassionate treatment of people and so I look forward to learning a lot more about what's going on, what organizations are doing good work, uh, where the gaps are, and and how else LCF can can be helpful.
1: Yeah. I'm curious, like, you know, having led HUD, obviously a national agency, um, what through lines do you see when we talk about? You know, housing affordability and access. I know here in California, there's a big push, you know, to build more um, a sense that zoning laws and other sort of neighborhood opposition has really hurt the the state's ability uh, to bring prices down. Is that is that something you see nationally? and, And or are there other sort of policy areas that you think the foundation and others should focus on?
2: Yeah, I mean, of course, we see that nationally. I think you can see it and feel it more in California and in places like Seattle and, and a few other communities in the country. But but this issue of, uh, of affordability crisis is pretty much everywhere now. They're just about everywhere, not just in the usual suspect cities. Um, I think what you get more of in places like San Francisco and, and in Seattle and the and a couple of other places are the back and forth, for instance, between Yimbyism and NIMBYism. You also have a much more well-developed set of policies over the years that have been tried and some of them embraced, some of them rejected. I remember when I was HUD secretary visiting with the then mayor of Seattle, and he gave me this pamphlet that had 63 different policies that they aimed to pursue on affordable housing to try and create more housing to try and you know uh, ease up land use restrictions and similar things and and i guess that wasn't a surprise to me but it really crystallized like people have been trying to figure this out it's not new and trying to do it in different ways um i think that there's still a lot of room for implementing what we see as best practices including sometimes lifting of land use restrictions or easing them or changing them so that you can get more affordable housing that's built Um, but it also it's a question of resources as a country we need to make a commitment to housing opportunity that's bolder and bigger than we have in in generations and um, you know i had hopes for for Build Back Better, a couple of years ago, I think initially as it was envisioned, when you added up all of the potential investments for housing, it was about $300 billion worth there. And, and there's still you know a, a significant investment in the legislation that, that finally came through, but it's a lot less than that. We need to be bolder, we need to invest more, and also... Uh, we need to think regionally when it comes to affordable housing opportunity and not just city by city, hmm. uh, you know, town by town. If you do it that way, you're going to have this patchwork that that is just not going to serve people well.
1: Yeah. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. Another uh, listener writes, I've been pretty worried as the 2024 election draws nearer. I have a partner who's Latino and has DACA, but his family's undocumented. I'm really worried that if the worst comes to worse and Trump is elected, he and his family will be in danger due to their citizenship. Do you have ideas to help Hispanic folks who lack citizenship? And I guess I would sort of couch this also in the broader question of civic engagement. Um, it's it's a lot harder to be engaged when you're not documented.
2: Well, that's true. And, you know, I think of the very courageous and effective uh, young activists 10 years ago, 12 years ago, who made such a difference in, in um Pushing uh, then President Obama and, and President Obama, who I served, you know, I love, was would later acknowledge the role that they played in, you know, in, in pushing the administration to do DACA and then DAPA that unfortunately did not make it through a court challenge. Um and so I see part of the work that the Latino Community Foundation does as supporting the civic engagement, the mobilization, uh, the, the uh, uh, support of that kind of pushing and activism and uh, of, of uh, building power for the community so that they can press upon City Hall or State Capitol or Congress. Or the White House to put policies in place that serve the community well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it feels—it <laughs> just feels like we have these conversations uh, around election time, though. And and then you know, they—I know you've had some harsh words in the past for the Biden administration's approach to all of this. Like, uh, do you since this election year is an opportunity to push the conversation? Um, yeah, what role do you think you guys can play?
2: Well, I mean, it's you know, LCF is a nonpartisan organization, uh, and so it, it doesn't it doesn't uh, move through a partisan approach. But um, I think that by building uh, civic engagement uh, and helping to mobilize Latinos and Latinas in California uh, and then ultimately throughout the country, What you hope and what I believe will happen is that the people who are elected and the policies that come out of their service will better serve Latino and Latina communities, including so many families who are mixed status families or or who are undocumented, who are part of the fabric of this country, especially during COVID. We saw how important people working in meatpacking plants or on the fields in California or so many other places were. Uh, to to keep everybody else fed, to keep our economy going, they are indispensable to this country, and uh, and we need policies that better reflect you know, them as human beings and and their well being.
1: Absolutely. All right. I want to bring in another caller, Victor in San Leandro. Victor, go ahead. <laughs>
2: Good morning, and um, wondering what uh, Julián Castro has in mind for when the Latino population grows to 25% of the United States, how will we have LCF and other similar organizations, how will they prepare for that growth, especially considering
4: the diversity within the Latino population? What's their responsibility and how will LCF
2: address that, or begin to address that, given that we still have a 30-year runway?
1: Thanks, Victor. Julián?
2: Great question. Um, you know, well, I don't know that it'll be thirty years though uh, till <laughs> that, right? We're already at like I think nineteen percent, and uh, and so it, it's going to come upon us um, fairly quickly. Um, LCF is one of many organizations that are going to play, I think, an important role in building up the the civic engagement, building up the capacity of Latinos and Latinas to. Um, do well for themselves and for their families and also to contribute in every single way that you can uh, to the quality of life of the state of California and of this country. I mean, they're already doing that. And you know, I just described some of the ways that uh, that the community is doing that. It's hardworking. It's serving in every way that you can serve. It's uh, making a big difference. But um, as we as we become a bigger and bigger part of the population, that destiny that I talked about being intertwined with the destiny of the entire United States becomes even more and more true. That means you gotta make sure that, that more Latinos and Latinas are getting a good education, graduating from high school, going on to college, or uh, getting a certificate, making sure that that they're um, employable, or that they can be small business owners if that's what they wanna be, and they can thrive in that regard. Uh, and that they're running for office, they become policymakers themselves, uh, entrepreneurs. That that their success, that their um, the, the the imprint that they're leaving on their communities in the country runs the entire gamut. That's what we want to see. And one of the things yeah. I'm really excited about is that the LCF is not just doing one of these things well. It's involved in so many of these things and doing excellent work to foster entrepreneurial excellence to foster civic engagement to to foster nonprofit. excellence
1: this is a fundraising period for kqed public radio for more information about how to support kqed you can go to kqed.org i'm marisa lagos in for alexis madrigal well i'm curious julian i mean as we've said you've run for president you were a mayor um How are you feeling about not being, you know, working at a nonpartisan organization? Do you see this as a, I don't know, perhaps the next chapter that might be the rest of the book? Or do you think this could be that you might eventually want to return to politics?
2: Well, I wouldn't say never, um, but... uh... I'm. I feel fulfilled that I can make an important contribution this way too. You know, I, I first got interested in in uh, going into politics when I went to Stanford, uh, and um, as a undergrad, and I saw, you know, this comparison between the Bay Area and my hometown of San Antonio, and I wanted to come back to San Antonio and to lift up the educational opportunity and uh, the the quality of life. And the, the really the potential of so many people that had grown up like I did. I had a chip on my shoulder about my hometown. And um I still have that chip on my shoulder, but it's it's more broadly, it's expanded, it's aimed more at the entire Latino community. And um I think this is a important way to make a difference. Public service is not the only way that people can make a big difference. You know, politicians are the ones that you see on TV or you read their quote in the newspaper or they're the one with the title on the door. But there's so many people behind the scenes and in other sectors that make a profound impact on people's lives. And so this is another exciting way for me to give back.
1: Yeah. Um, I have another caller. I want to squeeze in before the end of the hour. Chris and Santa Clara, go ahead.
6: (laughs) Um, Julian, thank you. Um, You know, now that uh, this year, you know, it's 47.7% of the student enrollment within the entire California State University system is Latino. And casi dos terceros, almost two-thirds of that is Latina. How do we begin to pivot the messaging so that as Latinos are truly California's majority and also the educational majority, to start considering the Latino community to be the governing cohort as opposed to a minority
1: mindset? Great question. Thanks for the call. Yeah,
2: I mean, it, it is a great question, and it's it's an opportunity that the community has. Um, I think the best way to accomplish that is to, to start engaging in everything that entails, right? For people to run for office, uh, for them to uh, get into positions of authority, running organizations, doing everything that you see, Um a community that is forty-seven percent of the student body, or that is forty percent of the overall population, uh, or in my home state of Texas, same thing, forty percent now. Um, you know, I've never been somebody like big on the idea that seeing ourselves as a minority is necessarily hampering hmm. either. Um, but I do think there's something too. Hey, you're almost a majority of the population here. That means that you haven't indispensable role to play in the future well-being of the state of the country and it's both incumbent upon barriers that have been there to crumble you know or to be brought down but it's also incumbent upon the community itself to you know run for that office to to reach and try and take on that leadership position uh to do those things that are commensurate with the position that you're now in, the opportunity that you now have.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a great – we only have a minute or so left, but I'm curious, like, for folks that may not have the budget to be donating to a foundation like LCF, how would you encourage them to get involved?
2: In any way that they can um, through, you know, when it comes to charitable giving in any amount that they can. Some people give $5, $25, $100, get involved by volunteering – For the LCF funds, many wonderful, impactful nonprofits out there. They have many volunteers, different ways to make a difference, no matter what your area of interest is. Uh, And most of all, go vote. Be civically involved. Be a voice in who gets elected and what kind of policy comes out of your school district, of your city council, of your state legislature, and of the country.
1: You heard it here. Register and vote. Julian Castro, uh, thank you so much for your time today.
2: Thank you, Marisa.
1: And good luck. This is a a big job. We'll be excited to to watch for what's ahead. Uh, We have been talking to Julian Castro about his new role as CEO of the Latino Community Foundation. He's the former Housing and Urban Development Secretary and a former Democratic presidential candidate. I'm Marisa Lagos and today for Lexus Madrigal. You can stay tuned for another hour of form Ahead. That's with Mina Kim.